What's happening guys? Sam Adams here and welcome to a brand new episode of Cabinet Today for June the 14th of 2019. I do hope this one finds you well as always and for those that are brand new to the podcast, this is a daily gaming news show where I let you know the hottest gaming news happening in the industry we all love and today we have a ton of news to break down as we struggle with dropped frames on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams. Uh, but nonetheless, we have reports that those new models of the Nintendo Switch, they are in fact coming. And this is coming to us from the Wall Street Journal because reportedly production has already begun, which means we could be seeing these much sooner than you might think. Then of course we have the attendance numbers for E3. They have dropped slightly. In addition to this, Fallout Shelter is coming to Tesla cars. Square Enix is wanting to preserve their games for future generations. A good initiative, in my opinion. ThinkGeek, the collectibles slash other things you don't really need site and source, is now moving in with GameStop officially. And of course, we then talk about Auto Chess, a cool little subset of the strategy game genre. And of course, if you are a fan of League of Legends and Dota, I have good news for you in that regard. But then we end on a very somber note, a sad note, if you will. The lead producer at Gorilla has passed away at the age of 44. We'll talk more about what he did, what he worked on, and who he was at the end of the show to pay a little bit of honor and respect to somebody that without a doubt had a large impact on the industry. But to those live in the chat, I appreciate you bearing with me during the technical issues. And of course, if you don't want to deal with the live technical issues, the show is hosted on Twitch live. But on top of that, it's then taken down and put up on YouTube.com slash Samuel Adams Media, as well as on podcast services around the world from Apple to Google to Spotify, which is my preference. You can find it on pretty much any platform you listen to things on. But without further ado, let's go ahead and dive into today's top stories. New Nintendo Switch models enter production according to a report from the Wall Street Journal in regards to E3 2019. Reports have suggested that two new Nintendo Switch models are on the way. Officially, Nintendo has not addressed the possibility, though it did say it would not announce the new systems during E3. That proved to be true, but a new report from the Wall Street Journal published this week during E3 2019 reveals some new details around these rumored Nintendo Switch models. Specifically, the report states that Nintendo has decided to move the manufacturing of the new consoles to Southeast Asia instead of China. This is a result of her concerns about potential U.S. tariffs on electronics made in China. As reported previously from GameSpot, President Trump's proposed import tax rate of 25% would impact video game consoles as well as smartphones and computers. In theory, this could lead to price increases on game consoles from Nintendo as well as Microsoft and Sony as companies pass on the cost to consumers. The alternative would be to, of course, absorb the cost themselves, but we all know how that works out. It simply doesn't. It doesn't. Game consoles are not historically where the money is made in the games business, however. Oftentimes, systems are sold at a loss or with very thin margins, with profits instead coming from software and services. Should the 25% tariff go into effect for Switch consoles shipped to the United States, that would impact how much money Nintendo and other companies make on console sales. Now, Nintendo has been an outlier in this entire situation because the company has maintained from day one of Switch sales in 2017 that it makes money on each console sold. If the 25% tariff goes into effect, that could cut into the Switch's profit profile, which is likely why Nintendo has elected to move production of the console outside of China. Because of course, as we just said, they have more on the line, so to speak. 
According to the Wall Street Journal's report, Nintendo has already moved production of the existing Switch model, as well as the two new rumored ones to Southeast Asia. Regarding the new systems, one is said to have a similar form factor to the existing model but feature better components, with the other expected to have a different look and lower specs, of course making it less expensive. Think of it in a sense like the 3DS XL, new, whatever they like to call these next big fancy consoles, versus the 2DS. That's pretty much the two kinds of models that you have coming out. But given that the consoles are currently reportedly in production, that could mean they're coming out relatively soon in the grand scheme of things. And so there has been no comment from Nintendo, but if this report is in fact accurate, that could mean that we are going to be seeing these consoles before the end of 2019, because why would you produce stuff if you're setting it out in 2020? It could potentially be an early 2020 release, but it seems very likely uh, that these releases of two potential new Nintendo Switch models might be announced via something like a random YouTube video announcement or a random tweet, some kind of weird thing that Nintendo would tend to do with this specific type of announcement. Uh, but is it a good idea? In my opinion, absolutely, because of the style of game you are getting, specifically in regards to the beefier version of the Nintendo Switch. So, case in point, The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt Complete Edition running on the Nintendo Switch. Of course, running at 540p in handheld mode, The Witcher 3 is still going to be technically coming to the Nintendo Switch, although it's not going to be the exact same quality of experience you can expect from a PS4 Pro, an Xbox One X, or a PC. But... If there is some kind of resolution scaling, if there is some kind of way to add more textures to that specific version of the game that is running on a better version of the Nintendo Switch itself, that could definitely make the Nintendo Switch more appealing for those that are looking for better graphics, that are looking for better resolutions, etc. That could be a pretty big deal. Uh, but overall, it's exciting to see these finally reportedly being in production. Of course, no announcement has been made as of yet, so take everything with a grain of salt. Nintendo has reportedly said uh, they have not announced anything, they were not going to announce anything at E3, and they even denied any kind of report of a new model of the Nintendo Switch a couple of months back. So, this very well could be the Wall Street Journal reading too far into things, but nonetheless, exciting times for those that are looking forward to a brand new model of the Nintendo Switch, or maybe, maybe even two new models of the Nintendo Switch. But regardless, we saw a lot of news at E3. However, apparently not too many people saw that in person because the actual attendance for the show has been down. However, only slightly, but slightly is still a significant amount of people. Let's go ahead and break it down. E3 2019 attracted 66,100 attendees. That is just over 3,000 fewer attendees than 2018, but still significantly up on the pre-consumer years of 2016 or earlier. The ESA has also revealed that the event will return to the LA Convention Center between June 9th and the 11th of 2020. Over 200 exhibitors attended this year, which is in line with 2018. However, the event was once again missing big booths from major publishers, including Activision, EA, and PlayStation. A quarter of the exhibitors have never exhibited at the event before according to the ESA. Other statistics show, or excuse me, from the show include that there were 3.2 million conversations on Twitter related to E3, while the E3 Coliseum, the live stage show that runs the entire duration of the event, received 1.2 million viewers. The Coliseum featured the likes of Jack Black, Elon Musk, and Todd Howard. Of course, all big heads in the gaming industry? Okay, I like how we just mentioned these big boys right here. E3 is where the video game industry's biggest brands and biggest fans converge to shape the future. E3's energy and excitement were felt in the halls, on the floors, and press conferences, stated ESA CEO Stanley Pierre-Louis. 
We broke records, saw incredible innovations, and had breathtaking moments that entertained the world. Congratulations to our creative and innovative exhibitors, members, and partners who made such a fantastic E3 possible. And so, of course, as we all know, E3 2019 has come to a close, but attendance down slightly. What does this mean? In my opinion, it simply means PlayStation wasn't there. That's pretty much what it comes down to. Of course, there were a couple of other elements that went into the attendance issue with this year's E3, but again, it's not even that big of an issue. A couple of thousand people, still a significant amount of people, but at the same time, it's not really that big of a deal. E3 is not going to be dying anytime soon. But of course, we talked on an episode of podcast, or an episode of Caffeinate, a couple of days ago about the future of E3, what this could mean. Because reports have been coming in from industry officials, from people that report on games industry news that are currently at the show, uh, that say not only does it feel like the show floor is emptier this year, there are just simply fewer people here, as we see the confirmation from this report from gamesindustry.biz. And so, how far out do we have to think to find the end of E3? When do we get to the point whenever E3 is going to be concluding and we're all going to be moving to a digital uh, version of the show where we just have a giant slew of announcements around the middle of May uh, in the beginning of June? I would say between five and 10 years. Again, I don't think the show is going to be around forever, but I do want to point out that if there are new exhibitors coming to the show, as this report does state, that could change the game. Instead of E3 necessarily ending, it changes what E3 itself actually is. It's no longer going to be where all of the big, huge companies come to show off what they are working on. Some still will, but it's going to become more of a unification uh, point for the industry, somewhat of a pinnacle, if you will. Uh, a recess where everybody uh, comes together and and talks about what they've been working on and bonds over their love of gaming. I like that concept, but again, will it be able to transition from the Goliath news source that we've all become accustomed to it being? Uh, that's really the question that I want to present here. Again, I have no answers, but just to show off that attendance has dropped slightly, I thought that I would mention it on today's show. Again, not that big of a deal, just a few thousand people, but still a few thousand people. That's more than you could fit in this room, I'll tell you that right now. Uh, But, speaking of Elon Musk being on the E3 Coliseum stage, Fallout Shelter is coming to Tesla cars. Of course, I saw the tweet uh, that was showing off Bethesda, Todd Howard going live with Elon Musk, and I thought, if Skyrim comes to a Tesla, that's the biggest meme of 2008 come to life. But nonetheless, it was in fact Fallout Shelter, which in my opinion is a much better fit uh, for a Tesla scream. But Elon Musk showed up on stage at E3 Thursday alongside Bethesda Studios executive producer Todd Howard to announce Fallout Shelter will be coming to Tesla vehicles. The wildly popular game is already on just about every other system imaginable, so a move to Tesla in-car entertainment systems seems about right. It will be joined by Beach Buggy Racing 2 along with previously announced titles including classic Atari games and indie darling Cuphead, or at least the first few stages of Cuphead, so you can kill time in your car. To play Tesla's eclectic lineup of games, users will have to keep their car in park, which is probably the best for everyone. The vehicles will support PS4 and Xbox controllers, though racing titles will be compatible with car controls. Let's talk about that, because I didn't know that was a thing. Gamers will be able to use their steering wheel to control their virtual racer and use the brake pedal to slow down in the game. The accelerator will be off limits for safety purposes, as to be expected again, but still you have basically a functional racing simulator sitting in front of you. 
that is amazing to me. But in addition to the games, Musk said Tesla's entertainment system will also allow people to watch Netflix and YouTube through their car's built-in web browser. Like the games, users will have to be in park in order to watch anything, though that may eventually change if self-driving features prove to be safe enough. I don't know about that one, Chief. That sounds like a really, really bad idea. But I love the concept of having this entertainment hub within my Tesla. And again, let me make it clear. I don't have a Tesla. Your boy don't make that much money. Let's go ahead and put that out on the line. But I understand the draw of this. I understand the desire to have stuff like Fallout Shelter, like Netflix, like YouTube, these big name games. I love to have this in my car because of how I function when I'm not at home. So for instance, if I have a 10 hour shift at work and I want to take an hour lunch or whatever, it doesn't take me an hour to eat lunch. I think we can all agree on that. Sometimes people go hard. You eat for an hour. That's totally fine. I understand. Hunger, it hits. Uh, have a Snickers. But, uh, not a sponsor. Uh, but, you can chill out in your car instead of going back to work. And this presents an incredibly uh, enticing opportunity to actually chill in your car and watch Netflix and play a game and have a racing simulator with Beach Buggy, what is it, Beach Buggy something too? Beach Buggy Racing 2. You can actually race with your Tesla. That's amazing to me. A very exciting time uh, to be, number one, an owner of a Tesla, but number two, to see that this kind of technology and this kind of innovation uh, in the entertainment industry is possible, where you can have this stuff that is built into a car. Uh, that is what I love the most about Tesla and with Elon Musk is that where traditional production companies, where traditional uh, vehicle manufacturers will simply stick with what's worked in the past, Musk takes that and the guys at Tesla take that and they say, what if we didn't do that, but instead we did this? And it's something way cooler, way more enticing, and much more, I guess, in touch with what people want in today's day and age where entertainment is king, etc, etc. Uh, so if you do want to play Fallout Shelter on a Tesla, don't worry, it is coming soon, which is very exciting. And of course, if you have a Tesla, consider donating to the channel. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But uh, sincerely, very cool concept right there at work. But of course, Square Enix also makes some pretty impressive games, but they are working to preserve and release their entire game library, a very cool initiative that I wanted to talk about for just a moment. Square Enix has been making games for over three decades, birthing huge franchises like Final Fantasy and Dragon Quest, and now the company is looking to digitize and preserve each and every one of them. In a recent interview with Game Informer, Square Enix President and Chief Executive Yosuke Matsuda said that the Japanese developer-publisher is working on making its entire game library available digitally. That is good news for players keen to revisit some of their favorite Square titles and also a notable development for anyone interested in seeing the classics of yesteryear preserved for future generations. As you can imagine, however, bringing together such a vast library of games is anything but straightforward, especially when some of those older titles have literally been misplaced. I'm embarrassed to admit it, but in some cases, we don't know where the code is anymore. It's very hard to find them sometimes because back in the day, you just made them and put them out there and you were done. You didn't think of how you were going to sell them down the road, explained Matsuda. Sometimes customers ask, why haven't you released that game yet? And the truth of the matter is, it's because we don't know where it's gone. It's a detail that shows precisely why it is so important to catalog and preserve video games, especially those vintage releases that might one day be lost to the annals of time. Although Matsuda didn't offer any hints as to what the project might be completed or when the project might be completed, the fact that work is already underway is a huge step in the right direction. And this is something that I have a very deep passion for because I am a big believer in the idea that video games are an art form. You can 
put a specific amount of work and put a specific twist on something to where it does create a completely different experience that isn't just a vehicle for entertainment. It isn't just a video game, so to speak, as the as the old saying goes. It's something more than that. The orchestral scores that are created for stuff like Assassin's Creed, the bands that play for stuff even like Cadence of Hyrule, the art style of stuff like Ori and the Blind Forest, all of these elements prove that video games are art, and this is something that is not new. Those are just modern examples. This has been happening for decades and decades since the very beginning, uh, whenever you were using ASCII code to create Tetris back in the day. That that's still art because you are creating something. And so uh, Square Enix working to preserve their entire library is a really, really cool initiative. And my question is, number one, why? Of course, to save the games and to show them off for future generations. But rumors have also circulated that some kind of subscription service is going to be coming out alongside this specific idea, this specific concept and project. So you could potentially pay a monthly fee or have access to the entire library via some kind of uh, group buy option or something like that and just play every Square Enix title ever created. But even more so, just the fact that these games are being digitized and saved for future generations, that's a big deal. That's a big win and something that I am very, very glad to see. But nonetheless, if you are a fan of Square Enix, big news coming down the pipe. You could be getting access to everything ever created over the 30 plus year cycle of Square Enix. But GameStop is still struggling. Let's move on and talk about that because now ThinkGeek is shutting down and moving into GameStop. It's kind of like whenever a parent allows the son slash daughter to move back in after they've moved out. That was a good example. GameStop subsidiary ThinkGeek will be shutting down its online gaming and pop culture clothing, accessory, and toy store and moving the bulk of its business into GameStop brick and mortar and online stores. Over 40 physical ThinkGeek store locations in the United States are planned to remain open after the website ends its sales on July 2nd, 2019. It has not been a great year for GameStop, which saw a stock drawback in January as it gave up trying to sell the company due to a lack of financing. Following this, GameStop said it would commit to a focus on its core gaming business as well as on its collectibles. GameStop then posted a $673 million full-year loss in its financials report in April for the year ending in February 2nd, 2019. That loss took into account the $700 million the company earned from the sale of its spring mobile business back in November of 2018, which makes things look even worse because they are. Uh, but ThinkGeek moving into GameStop is something that I think is a pretty good move. Uh, there is no reason to throw funding, very, very valuable, scarce money, the green that you don't have, the bread that has not been baked, don't throw that into a website that probably isn't generating that much revenue to begin with. Instead, take ThinkGeek and put it in with GameStop. It just simply makes sense. Uh, but I did want to let you guys know that was happening. Of course, if you are a fan of ThinkGeek, then you can go buy all this other useless stuff that is going to sit idle for months on end in person at GameStop or online on GameStop.com. But again, the status of GameStop still remains up in the air as it stands. Will it be around in five years? Potentially not. It just doesn't seem like it's trending in the right direction. Of course, the pre-sale, or excuse me, the, um, the resale value is still there with GameStop in a punny kind of way, uh, because you can still sell GameStop and make some money to some kind of buyer, but if there are no buyers, then GameStop will not be sold, which is pretty much the situation we had back in January. Additionally, GameStop, in my opinion, is only sticking around because of the resale value of the games that are brought into GameStop. Uh, if I want to get rid of a physical game, 
I just take it to GameStop. It's simply easier that way because I don't really have a local mom and pop shop that's within a stone's throw of my house. So I just go to the easiest option, which is GameStop. Uh, and I've actually chosen to buy physical games because I know that within a week or two after I finish it, I can resell it for a pretty good value. And that's really the only reason I see GameStop still sticking around in 2019, aside from the fact that so many people are just accustomed to buying their products from GameStop. That's one of the reasons they are still around is because of the legacy console players that go and buy their games specifically from GameStop because that's what they've always done. And so with ThinkGeek moving in, I think it's going to maybe overcrowd their store a good bit because, again, there is just so much random stuff that ThinkGeek sells that you don't need. And that's going to absolutely clog up the arteries of GameStop and just make this overabundance of stuff like Overwatch plushies and Doom t-shirts and stuff just hanging off the walls, making things look a bit tackier than they should be. But that's just my two cents. Anyways, let's talk about auto chess because this is a hot topic in today's PC gaming space and also on Twitch as well. League of Legends is getting a Dota Auto Chess inspired card game mode. The eight player team fight tactics is expected to enter beta later this month. Auto Chess is one of the biggest custom game modes available for Dota 2 right now. So big that Valve is making it a standalone version while the original mod maker is building a mobile version for China. And now League of Legends studio Riot Games is moving into the auto battler genre with team fight tactics, an eight player mode in which combatants will buy and draft champions, place them on a hexagonal board and send them off to do battle only until one squad is left standing. We believe in making big commitments to our players and fans, from updating the game every two weeks to creating seasonal events and game modes, Teamfight Tactics Product Manager Richard Hinkle said. Players have expressed a tremendous amount of interest in the auto battler genre, and we hope League of Legends fans are excited to see the game's signature art style and deep gameplay come to life in this brand new mode. The game will take place over multiple phases, beginning with a shopping phase that gives players 30 seconds to purchase champions from the League of Legends Pantheon, equip them with items, apply level ups, and place them on the board. After that, combat begins. Your avatar and squad will teleport to your opponent's board to try and wipe out the enemy squad, but if both players are still standing once 60 seconds has passed, they will each take damage based on the number of opposing champions that remain on the board. The PvP combat will be bolstered by PvE action. Players will face off against three rounds of monsters at the start of each game who may drop equipable items, and while the first draft round will be simultaneous, players will draft in order in subsequent rounds from the lowest health to the highest. And of course, they go on to talk more about the game itself, but I'm excited to see what's going on with Dota, Auto Chess, and League of Legends Auto Chess, but let's follow up and talk about this second game, Dota Underlords, which has one of the worst looking logos that I believe I've ever seen for a game, but hey, it's all about the gameplay, right? all about the gameplay. Dota Underlords Valve's auto chess title comes to Steam today and by today I mean yesterday and by that I mean it's out right now if you do want to see it. Auto chess as they said over at PC Gamer is an increasingly popular game and genre on PC and mobile and you can't play excuse me you can Haha! -ha! You can play Valve's take on it today, Dota Underlords, if you have a Dota 2 Battle Pass. If you don't have one, you can join the open beta when it goes live in about a week. But if you're not sure what the heck Auto Chess is, don't be alarmed. They have resources for you at Game Informer if you did want to know. Valve's take on the game genre makes a few small changes that we can see already in these beta stages, such as letting players pick items after creep NPC rounds from a pool, further allowing them to tailor their strategies and reducing reliance on randomness from getting 
getting loot from NPC enemies. Some of the effects are quite powerful, ranging from skills that buff entire classes of units or adding one to your unit cap. For non-auto chess players, these are incredibly powerful game-altering effects that don't exist in the classic version of auto chess. But the main story here, Dota Underlords is out today if you do have the Dota 2 Battle Pass. But on top of that, League of Legends getting a big, big update as well that is adding the team tactics mode or the team fight tactics mode uh, so i wanted to report on this because i'm a big fan of new ideas i'm a big fan of developers and studios listening to what the community is pumping out and riffing on that and actually making something that is unique in that that caters to those specific fans and that's exactly what we're seeing here within both uh, the team at riot and also the team behind the scenes at dota from valve uh, they're doing very well by pursuing this auto chess concept because clearly people want to play it and to be able to bring it to mobile a very very big deal uh, to be able to just update it continuously and add more and more content it's going to be great for fans overall uh, i'm a big fan of this entire move now in the chat decky says are they tapping in on the 12 year old market i don't know too many 12 year olds that might play auto chess but i do know you are correct this this logo it does have a very fortnite looking font but at the same time, it's an exciting time to be in the world of Dota, in the world of League of Legends, and of course, in the world of Auto Chess. But those aren't out yet, technically, unless you have the Dota 2 Battle Pass. However, I did want to move on, and before we round out today's show, I did want to talk about the loss over at Guerrilla Games. Because Guerrilla lead producer Patrick Munnick dies at 44, and I apologize if I said his last name incorrectly. But still, the man has a very, very significant career, especially at Guerrilla. Guerrilla Games lead producer Patrick Munnick has died at the age of 44. The studio shared the news of Munnick's death, which occurred on Monday today on Twitter. It is with great shock and sadness we inform you that our lead producer, Patrick Munnick, is no longer with us, reads the tweet. We are eternally grateful to have had our greatly valued and much-loved Patrick on our team. Munnick joined Gorilla in 2011 and held the role of senior producer for his entire time at the company, working on both Horizon Zero Dawn and Killzone Shadow Fall. Prior to his work at Gorilla, he worked as a project manager at both 3D design solution company Navigram and information and communication technology services company Jetronics. And so... They lost a good one over there, Gorilla. Of course, the creativity behind Killzone Shadowfall and Horizon Zero Dawn to be such a big part of that production, uh, incredibly amazing level of skill, level of talent, level of uh, innovation. The, the, the brain behind this individual was absolutely incredible and, of course, a huge loss to the industry overall. And I can't imagine what's going on with his family, with his friends, and, of course, with the team over there at Gorilla. So my thoughts and, uh, and prayers go out to all of you guys over there that are dealing with such a loss at a young age. I think that's what really got me about this one. Uh, normally, whenever somebody passes away that's big in the gaming industry, I will mention it or, or I, I might even not. You know, it depends on the situation because I know that I like to stick to game news. I like to stick to what is happening in games, etc., etc. Uh, but for this to be such a significant individual, on top of him being so young at the age that he passed away, uh, that was shocking. That's something I wanted to mention on today's show, just to let you guys know, and also to you know pay homage to Patrick Monick. So uh, to the family, friends, and team over there that knew Patrick, I apologize. I'm so sorry, and that is a really rough pill to swallow. And I, I'm. It's crazy. That's crazy. 
Sorry for the somber note to end on, but that does round out today's episode of Caffeinate. Of course, if you are brand new to the show, it is hosted five days a week, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern Time, live on twitch.tv slash Samuel Adams. And then it's taken down and put up on youtube.com slash Samuel Adams Media, as well as podcast services around the world, if you did want to check it out in that audio format. But until next time, thank you for watching live. Thank you for the support. And I will see you guys tomorrow. And peace. Also, just kidding, it's Friday. I won't see you tomorrow. I'll see you on Monday, yeah? Yeah.